Thank you for tuning in to the Highest Praise Church podcast. For more information about Highest Praise Church, please visit highestpraisechurch.com. I say hallelujah. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. God's already up to something. He's already doing some stuff. How many, glad, how many believe that God's doing some stuff? God is moving. He's moving. One of the problems with the most churches, we've grown accustomed to living in God's house in his absence. I don't know about you, but I don't care about coming to his house in his absence. Sometimes you want to go visit somebody while they're not there just so he can enjoy their stuff. I don't want his stuff without him. Come on, somebody. Most churches say, well, we're in, his, we're in his house, but he's not here. So let's just, no, I don't want to be here if he's not here. But I'm thankful today that, that God is in highest praise. Amen. I'm thankful that we don't have to sing sitting on down. He's already sitting on down. He's already right here. Amen. He's already in the prayer. I want us to turn to Acts chapter number 15, verse 16. Psalm 127, verse 1 says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. That word vain there literally means you're wasting your time. So I don't want to do anything, build anything, say anything, or anything to do anything that God is not in it. But if God is in it, how many knows that he's going to build on it and do great and mighty things? So I want, we've been talking about the house that God's built. And today I'm going to talk about the houses of God a little bit. Really, I'm going to talk about the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David. And so let me just read the scripture before I start getting into it because I just want to so bad. And so the Bible says in Acts chapter 15 verse 16, I read this last week from Amos 9 and 11 just because I wanted to press everybody who follows us and say, wow, they're actually reading out the book of Amos. I mean, don't, don't let this sound like we're mature believers, you know, we're reading out of Amos. Turn to the book of Amos, if you will, the Old Testament, the old covenant of God before the new covenant was established. I mean, just, I mean, who, who can't, I mean, who can't do that? Anyway, this is a, uh, a quote from Amos 9-11, so I just figured instead of you spending 20 minutes trying to find the book of Amos, we'll just do it in the book of Acts. And so Acts 15, verse 16 says, After this, God says, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. Let me stop here and go ahead and deal with this. I understand this is, uh, there's, there's dual meanings. A lot of times in the Bible, you, especially with prophecy, there's dual meanings. This is an actual prophecy, prophecy that Amos prophesied in the last days, talking about during the millennium reign, uh, the coming again of Christ, and the setting up of, uh, of David's kingdom, uh, the nation of Israel, and the millennial reign, and God's presence, and all of that. But there is a, there is a right now application. And this is the right now application that God is speaking to us concerning this dual application of this word. So God's saying, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Everybody say, has fallen down. He says, but I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. Amen. Well, God bless this sermon today. So, so here, here's here's the here, here's the keys. The first thing I want to do, I want to talk about different kinds of the, the different kinds of tabernacles that we probably more accustomed to. We, if I begin to talk about Moses's tabernacle, he says, "Oh yeah, I know Moses's tabernacle." Moses's tabernacle was that elaborate tent that God moved upon Moses to build, and, and he built. I mean, every 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 button, every every pole, every zipper, everything about Moses's tabernacle was extravagant. Um, people that, who loves to camp and stuff, there's a thing now called glamping. It's, it's trying to entice me to go camping. It, you got to do better than that, man. Not, as long as there's hotels in the building that has running water, I, mean, I don't see the point of I ain't sleeping on the ground. But anyway, so anyway, so you had the tabernacle. So that tabernacle was as elaborate, but God didn't say, I will rebuild the tabernacle of Moses. And then, of course, we know that there's Solomon's tabernacle, the great, the great, the great wonder of all the world. That that if it was still in existence today, it would still be a great wonder of his world. He didn't say that. He said, "I want to rebuild the tabernacle of David." And so we got to understand the tabernacle of David. So I don't even remember, I don't even know anything about the tabernacle of David. And but the tabernacle of David is 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 the one that God is in love with. It's the one that God brings up. We have to first understand about the, everything about how the tabernacle of David even came into existence, because the tabernacle of David here came into existence because David had passion for God. 
And David began to have turn that passion he had from God into a home that housed the presence of God. And so David, what happened was, is that David began, and, and well, let's back up a little bit and talk a little bit more what God is saying about this, about this structure. He says, I will rebuild the tabernacle of, of, of David. The tabernacle of David here, obviously, if he's talking about the tabernacle of David as compared to the glamping lifestyle of the t- temple or the tabernacle of Moses and, 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 and the splendor of Solomon's, all, literally, all David's tabernacle was, was a canopy or a tent that was, po- that was propped up up by some poles. That was it. And so if we see, well, here's, here's an extravagant tabernacle here, tent of Moses. Here's an extravagant building of, of Solomon over here. Yet God is intrigued with this, with this canopy that is propped up by some poles. And so obviously it tells us immediately that God isn't about the structure. God is, a, is about the event that takes place inside that structure. Now, one of the problems we have in the church of 2023 is we're consumed with the structure. And we want God to be impressed with the structure. With the structure, I'm here to tell you we're all about the structure. I believe that everything we do from God should be the best, that Christians should be the best, have the best, do the best, all that kind of stuff because it is, it is, it is an example of his excellence. And I believe anything we should do for God should be done with excellence. Okay. I also believe, and I teach everybody around here that, that everything we do, we do it with excellence and we do it with order. And the reason why we do it with excellence, we do it with order because unless there's order, God's presence will not move. God will not move in a chaotic mess. So we understand this. And I'm not preaching against structure and strategies and because we have to have that. But here, God, there's something else that caught God's eye that had nothing to do with the structure. It had everything to do with the events that took place in the structure. And I began to read, began to find out that really what he's talking about, that, that we can have houses, but every house isn't always a home. And you can have a house, and we can have churches that could houses, and, and you can live in houses, but some of them were houses and some were homes. I, I can go back, being, you know, being a move from one city to another, and, and being in ministry and doing different things that, that we, 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 Kim and I, has lived in several different houses, and, and we can go back to some houses. I can go back to Goldsboro, and then we had two particular houses, three if you count my little trailer that we had when we first got married, that, that, we, can, that we can ride by and say, well, there's my house, and I, I can tell you a little bit about the house about what color it was or, or, or you know what you know what, what kind of grass we had in the, in the yard other than that but then there's the house that we lived in that I consider our home and what was the difference between wasn't the structure the difference was the events that took place inside and so it's the events that takes place inside of a house that makes it a home like the first house that we had turned to a home was 202 Paul Place I began to realize this week I can't remember the other the other um, address addresses of the other homes that we had. I, I can probably remember the one or two the other other uh, houses that we had here, but I can remember 202 Paul Place that we bought in the 1980s. And, and, and that was a house in the cul-de-sac. And the reason why it's not, it, it wasn't the most extravagant house. It wasn't the most extravagant structure. I mean, there was the, it wasn't the greatest floor plan. It was the events that took place inside the house that made it a home. It was the events. It was, it was Jordan was, was about one years old when we bought the house and, and, and Ken was pregnant with Jenna. And so we ended up, we ended up taking her, you know, bringing her home with, and having a little baby. And, and Jordan was still on the bottle. And the doctor told us that we need to get him off the bottle before we bring Jenna home. And do he'll blame Jenna for taking his bottle. And so he takes all this stuff. And so he would lay on the floor after we took it from him while Ken was about eight months pregnant and say, ba, 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 and all that kind of stuff. You know, just great stuff. He remembers. See, it's a home to him. It's an event. Jenna dressing up, you know, in her ballet and, and, and you know, and, and, and doing them and, and playing her little toy piano and putting the, going to get in the kitchen and getting a cup and putting on the piano so I can put money in it while she banged on the piano. <laughs> and we go on and on and on and on and on about that. And what, what is, so I can ride by 202 Paul Place and it's not the structure because you say, that, that's not what I thought. But it's the events inside that makes that house a home. Come on, somebody. 
What God wants us to happen in the houses of God is that it's not the structure, it's not the, it's not even the order, it's not the nursery, it's not the, the, the great children's program we have or the great worship and all we have is the events that takes place. It's an encounter with God that you will never forget. And God says there was something going on on the inside of that David's tabernacle that had nothing to do with the tarp and the poles. It had to do with the events that took place in there that would change your life forever. You know what happened in here? The thing I love about highest praise is that you can have an encounter with God. That you might not remember my text. You might not remember the song, but you remember the encounter you had with God. Matter of fact, you can take you, you can take me to the to the seat where it was at and say, right here is where I came in, and I had no idea if I was going to make it out or not. But God encountered me, and I had a move of God. I brought my marriage in here, and we didn't know if we were going to divorce or not. But God touched our marriage. It was an encounter with God. Or my teenager was rebellious, and I didn't know what was going to do was at my wits end but we had an encounter with God and God completely turned our life upside down and then began to realize that wait a minute we don't just we're not just building houses around here we're building homes that house the presence of almighty God and it's the encounters that make it happen and so David began to have that. He had that passion. And I, and I began to look at this and I remember the scripture that in Matthew 24 and verse 2, because in Matthew 24 and verse 2, the Bible says that, that God says that, that there will be, there'll be, a, there'll be a sign. So do you see all these things? Or should I say to you that not one of these stones shall be left upon another? that will not be thrown down. And here Jesus is talking about, he's talking about Solomon's temple. At this time now it's called Herod's temple, this great temple. And, and God God literally prophesied because it happened in 70 AD that that temple's going to be torn down. And so here in, in this case, he says that that temple's going to be thrown down. But going back to Acts chapter 15 verse 16, he didn't say that that house, David's house was, was thrown down. He said that it has fallen down has fallen down. I will build the tabernacle of David, and you even said it, which has fallen down. One was thrown down, and the other was has fallen down. The one thing we begin to realize there's a difference between here what God is saying or prophesying over these two tabernacles. One of them was torn down. It was torn down because, because God lost interest in it. It didn't have his presence. It wasn't about him. It was all about structure. But over here in this one, David's tabernacle, he says it wasn't thrown down. It has just fallen down. And so immediately it begins to tell me that this house had, was not built by the hands of God. This house was built by the hands of man because that's what happens and that's what God wants that when we begin to, to take and do whatever we got to take and do to build a house to build a home that will house the presence of God but the problem is is that things happen we know it's man because if it has fallen down that meant we got weak and we got tired and we know that God didn't have anything to do with building this because God never gets weak and God doesn't get tired and so he says that this thing has fallen down and, and that's what happens with our worship. That's what happens with our praise. That's what happens whenever we are, we're, we're saved and we're on our way to heaven. But you know what? Life happened. That's why we have life groups and we, and we have discipleship and we, and we worship together and we, and we come to church together on a Sunday because things happen. We get weary. We get tired and, and, and things begin to happen and, and the passion we used to have, we don't have anymore and it starts falling down and, and we we can remember a time in our life when we were closer to God than we are right now. And, and our tabernacle to house the presence of God has fallen down. But God says here, he says, because you still have a passion for me, I will help you or bring you back through the process to rebuild that passion, to rebuild, rebuild that victory, and rebuild that blessing that is housed in the presence of God. Does this make any sense? And this is what he's saying. I want you to understand here. You say, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait. We don't want a house that's built, by, but built by, by, by men. We want a house built by God. No, God loves it whenever we build something for him. God loves it when it's all about him. And David's tabernacle was all about him. It was about housing the presence of God. And he says, I want to build a place. I want to have a place that, that houses the presence of God. Because whenever we do that, we begin to have encounters with God. And God loves to have encounters from him. And so we begin to realize that David began his, his campaign for this tabernacle when he was just a shepherd boy looking after sheep, believe it or not. 
The Bible says that David was, was a worshiper. Obviously, we know the twenty and third song, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. He making me lie down in green pasture, leave me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He just he he's just he's just worshiping the Lord by himself. From the rising of the sun to the going down on the same, his name shall forever be the same. He penned the paper, think words like, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praises shall continually be in my mouth. Psalms 3, during the heavy time, thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. We just realize that David is a worshiper. Just out there looking after his father's sheep. Not only did he learn to worship God, but he also learned to commune with God. To fellowship with God. He's now realizing that, that God is not just, just a structure or just some kind of religious being. God is presence. And as he begins to grow, and obviously his encounter with Goliath and Saul and all kind of different things that happens, we then find that we find that, that David now becomes king. We're during the whole journey in the process of David becoming king, and then we realize that there's a journey also with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is, is, is the actual structure that, that, that is a box that is, that is completely gold, that, that, that has a mercy seat on it, which is made as pure as gold, and two cherubims on top of this mercy seat, on top of this box, that, that, that is, is in between, that, that's on each side of the bookends, if you will, of the, of the presence of God. And the Hebrew says that, that you know the presence of God is because there's a blue flame, like a blue haze that just rests over the mercy seat of God in between the two cherubims. We must know just by our own common knowledge that blue flame is the hottest flame. We also know about it, that in Exodus 24, it tells us that, that God's presence is housed in sapphire. That whenever they saw, they said they saw God and they saw his feet. His feet was sitting upon a pavement which was like sapphire. Sapphire is blue. The Bible tells us in Revelation that, that the walls of heaven are sapphire, which is blue. What's your point? My point is that blue is always a representation of the presence of God himself. And so we see here that we know just by studying out the scriptures that the blue is signification that God's present himself resides upon this mercy seat, upon the Ark of the Covenant, in between the two cherubims. And that's why he had a tabernacle that was built. He had the outer court, the inner court, the most holy place, and that blue flame was there. And the whole thing, for whatever reason, David, David got intrigued with the blue flame of God. Remember the blue flame, wherever there's flame, there's fire. You better watch it whenever you start getting intrigued with the flame of God. Can I preach for a second? You better be careful when you come to church like this and you get intrigued because the worship is doing something to you. You better, you better, you better watch out whenever you get intrigued that whenever you drop your kids off to a children's department, they don't just pop them full of butter cookies and Kool-Aid, but they actually learn about the presence of God. You start getting intrigued with the, with the blue flame of God because wherever there's flame, there's fire. If you start getting close to the flame, then the fire is going to erupt. And then you start falling in love. You start getting passionate for what really is with the presence of God. David got consumed with the presence of God. And he began to find out, began to realize that this, that after the tabernacle was torn down, whenever they went into the promised land, that the kings housed the presence of God. And then they found out that during the order of, of Israel, that, that they turned their back on God and that, and that, 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 the, that the ark of the covenant was, was, was taken away. And that, and that David went, it went from Kirjah, um, Jerim to, to a man called Oded Bedom's house. And it was there in Obed-Dedim's house that, that there were houses called when the Philistines stole it, when the Philistines took it in a war that they had won because David, and they won the war because Israel had backslid, that they, they, they captured the ark. And Israel didn't really care because they were in love and intrigued with the presence of God. And it stayed in, and the Philistines had it until, make a long story short, until plays began to hit them and said, we, we understand that God of Israel rests upon this, this structure here. Let's get rid of it. Took it to courage off general. It stayed there for a while until it went to the house of Obed-Dedim. It stayed in the house of Obed-Dedim and everything he had began to be blessed. Oh, what happens when you allow the presence of God into your house? You begin to experience victory. You begin to experience power. And you begin to experience blessings. And the how we are to study Obed-Dedim. And the house of Obed-Dedim, because he said, if nobody else wants it, I'll take it. If nobody else wants to house the presence of God, I'll house the presence of God. Because it might, you might laugh at me. You might, you might snicker at me. And you might not want anything to do with me. But I'm here to tell you, I've always got room. Oh, we always should have a little bit of room 
him like Obed-Edom says and says, I always got room for the presence of God. If you want victory, if you want power, if you want blessings, make room for the presence of God. And David heard about it. He heard that the, that the flame of God rests at Obed-Edom's house. Let's talk about the flame for a second. It's in my spirit. There was three flames mentioned in the tabernacles of God. There's a flame that's on the brazen altar for the burnt offering in the outer court. That's built every single day a new fire. They don't stir up the coals of yesterday fire. They remove the, they remove the, the ashes and throw them down to the Kendron Valley. And every morning they start a brand new fire. <laughs> oh, it will praise. I'm fisting to you. <laughs> because I'm kind of stopping here. See, sometimes in the outer court, you can't make it to the inner court because we always want to try to get the flames from yesterday stirred back up. Oh, if we can just poke this old fire. It felt good last week or six months ago I had it, but that ain't what happened. In the, in the brazen altar, every single morning, the priest would go out there and they would take the flames or the ashes from yesterday, take a shovel and dump all the ashes, take them down to the Kendron Valley, come back and start a brand new fire. If you want an altar upon God, don't just lean upon what God did yesterday and last week in the last revival. Say, God, your mercies are new every morning. Come on, somebody. Oh, every single morning. I want to start a new fire. I want to start a new fire and they will build a new fire outside on that brazen altar. How do you know it was an altar? Because a place for the laid sacrifices. Everybody wants an altar but nobody wants a sacrifice. We want God to bless me. Oh, bless me, God. I'm here. Bless me, God. I don't want to, you don't want it to cost me anything, God. I don't want to, I don't want to give you anything, God. I want you to bless me. Honey, first of all, you ain't at an altar. You just had a wooden structure somewhere. An altar always comes with a sacrifice. If you bring a sacrifice, you can be in the bathroom and it'll become an altar. I wasn't doing anything. People in ministry, I, I got to, I, I, I'm going to go do this. Why? That's what I want to do. Well, you ain't in ministry. Ministry ain't about doing anything you want to. Ministry is all about doing what God tells you to do. Because God is always around the altar. And he'll take you there just to see if you'll do it, Abraham. Anyway, let's leave the outer court. Let's go into the inner court. Inner court is full of the menorah. The illuminated light of God that never turns out. That the oil is constantly going through those pipes. And it's constantly going. You've got outer court, which is natural light. You've got inner court, which is illuminated light. But then you go through the veil of the most holy place. And there resting between the two cherubims upon the mercy seat of God. It's not natural. It's not illuminated by oil. It's the manifest presence of God flickering in a blue flame. Three of them. David fell in love with that fire. You know, what's wrong with most Christians? We're satisfied with the outer court. And we'll appease ourselves with a little bit of the inner court. But you got to excuse some people as they say, well, you move out of the way because I got to go into the most holy place. That's where the presence of God is. That's where he dwells. Don't need no sun. Don't need no moon. Don't need no stars. Don't need no menorah. All I need is him. Oh, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You know we want to. David fell in love with that. He said, I want to go get it. I want to go get it from Obed-Edom's house. He was the king. He knew what he wanted to do. He took off, took an entourage, went down there to Obed-Edom's house. He said, here it is, king. And David was so happy. Something we know the story. He got some men to grab a hold. They put it on some kind of cart. Oh, I could preach that too. He started to go. We know it started to sway and the men went to stop it and they touched it and they died. David learned a valuable lesson. You better learn how to handle the holy. 
You know what the church needs to learn in 2023 and God is teaching us? It's time to learn how to handle the holy. You just can't put God's on any kind of car, any kind of vehicle, any kind of mechanism you want it to. It might look good and sound good and feel good, but God says, no, I'm holy. I'm separate than that. You got to do better than that, David, if you want to transport my presence from where it is to where you want it to be. Had to regroup. He regrouped. He found out the Levites had to hand it. They took poles in and Levites began to take it. We know the story. I got to hurry up. You know the story. So they took it, trying to get it back to its place. Oh, the people of God will begin to desire, say, God, we not only got to have his presence, but we got to learn to carry his presence. David had to learn not to just go get it, but you got to learn to carry it. We want to put, see, that's the problem with Israel anyway. Whenever they begin to lose during, during Jehoshaphat, they begin to lose the battle. They had, they had God back on a shelf somewhere. God, when we need you, we'll go get it. Uh-uh. You don't leave God on a shelf somewhere, and when we need you, we go get it. You've got to learn to carry his presence. And David learned during the whole court episode. He said, if I'm going to carry it, i got to learn how to carry it. i got to go through some sacrifice. i got to lose some things. i got to lose some people if I'm going to learn to carry his presence. He learned. And now they're carrying it. 15 miles. Boy, I could preach this for 15 hours. Preaching. And they finally get there. After 15 miles, nobody died (laughs) again. And the Bible says, the Bible says, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, that whenever he got the Ark of the Covenant to its rightful place there in Jerusalem, that he sat down and just did nothing and act like God has done absolutely positively nothing for him because he was afraid of what people would think if he did. Wrong Bible. Okay, let's read this one then. The Bible says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. With everything that he had. Go to the next verse just for fun. We got time. We got another service out of this. Where are you at? No, I mean the, the one, yeah, 15. Second Samuel 6, 15. Second Samuel 6, 15. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with the shouting with the sound of the trumpet. Verse 16. And now as the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw the king leaping. Like some of y'all a while ago. Whirling. Dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Let's stop right here. He brings the ark. He brings it. First of all, what I want to know, I want to tell you, he was so passionate about the ark of the presence of God that when he got it there, he didn't know what he was going to do with it. He didn't have a house. He didn't have nothing. I got to get back on that. But I want to stop here with Michael. Michael saw it and it despised her. She, she despised him and her heart. You better get ready when you get hungry for the presence of God. And you start acting indignified. There's people you're going to offend. There's people going to despise you because you're dancing and praising and acting like God is everything. But that's okay. You're not praising him anyway. You're praising him. And you're dancing and spinning and despise her. Go to the next verse. Go to the next verse. Go to the next verse. Put it back at her. Go to the next verse. What is verse 17? And so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it from this place to talk about David. Rejected, offered the burnt offer for the Lord. Go to verse 18. I don't know what I'm looking for. Verse 18. 18. 18. And when David finished, I don't want that neither. Go to 19. The people of the Lord. Uh, Anyway, so it's in your Bible. The point I wanted to make, I was going to read it, but I ain't got time to look for it. Michael became, Michael became barren. She became barren. She became barren. And the reason why she became barren, we can say because we're growing up so here, is because she quit being intimate with David. The reason why the church now is, is becoming barren, we're not caring anything for God because we're not intimate with God anymore. Oh, no, preacher, we can't be intimate. That's weird. No, you want to be weird, that's all right. Then, then, then you're going to despise us the way we worship and the way we praise because of that. And she became becoming barren because of that. So we got to be careful with that. 
And so the Bible then says, I got to get to the ark real fast. I got it close. He says, so, they, so they brought the ark in there. And they brought the ark. And here's David. And David's sister, he brings the ark. He goes through the whole Michael thing. And she's, and she, she's just completely, she's just completely despising. Now he's going through the whole barren thing, but he don't care. But you want to know why? Because something happened with David during that 15-mile journey. And that 15-mile journey of carrying the presence of God, David began to be consumed with what God is consumed with. You always know you're walking and carrying the presence of God because whatever values God now values you. Let me put it this way. You start valuing the same thing that God's value. It doesn't matter anymore what man thinks or what your friend thinks or how many likes you get. Whenever you're carrying the presence of God, you're learning how to distribute the presence of God. And so when Michael says, I don't like the way you're dancing, I don't like the way you're praising, I don't like the way you're doing this thing, he says, woman, I can't help that. I'm not consumed with you anymore. I'm consumed with the things of God now. And so now he has his art. We got to get this art. So now he has the art. We got to talk about the art. Where did David's tabernacle come from? Now he's got the art, which housed the presence of God. And David is so enamored. He says, I can't just leave the thing out here amongst the elements, amongst the stars, amongst the moon, amongst the sun, amongst the rain. He says, go get me something. Go get me something. Give me that canopy over there. Give me some poles. And they erected a tabernacle. They sit back. And when it got done, all it was was a canopy resting on some poles that house the presence of God. And he said, that's my tabernacle. People are like, did you read about Moses? He's going to call this a tabernacle. So you got to watch it. When you get consumed with the presence of God, you're not trying to impress anybody. It might be a canopy being held up by a couple of poles, but to you, it's the house that is a home to the presence of God. It might not be the prettiest thing. It might not be everything. Everybody like it. People might not be posting it. It might get a lot of Twitter likes and on TikTok and Bebop and everything else. But I'm here to tell you right now, it's the tabernacle of Moses, Moses. And God doesn't remember that house. And God doesn't remember that house. And God doesn't remember that house. But God says, I remember. I remember. I remember. I remember. I remember. to a process of rebuilding that canopy and, and propping up those poles because listen to me sometimes we get weary and sometimes we get tired and, and sometimes we get backslidden and God says but let me help you prop up that pole again let me help you if you want to build a house that will that will make the presence of God a home God says I'll walk with you during the process and we'll rebuild that thing so consumed I'm so I'm so concerned over the state of the body of Christ what we're after is not his presence we want the glitz, we want the glamour, we want the lights. God says it'll be thrown down. It'll be thrown down. All we're making all this money of it, throw it down. Yeah, but everybody's downloading it, throw it down. But I'll help you. Rebuild the tabernacle of David. If it houses my presence, it might look like a canopy on some poles, but I'm here to tell you, underneath that canopy and that poles is my presence. It's my presence. David is the only one. He's the only one out of three who doesn't have a veil. See, we've been taught to stand at the veil and worship a God that we don't know a whole lot about. And nobody cares. Just keep coming. Keep worshiping, we say worship. Shout when they just shout. But we don't know anything about the God behind the veil. God said, I want to rebuild Moses' tabernacle because you had me behind a veil. I want to rebuild Solomon's house because you had me behind a veil. I want this house where there is no veil. 
want to encounter with God because we never forget it. God wants encounters with us because he never forgets it. the song preacher preached the word so that we can have an encounter God so won't forget it God says let me come out from behind the veil so you can have an encounter with me so I don't ever forget you I started this whole sermon telling encounters I had with my children that I never forget God says I remember every encounter that I've had with you I remember the car going down the road and you cut the radio off and nobody knows and you begin to worship me even though you were going through hell I remember every encounter God wants to encounter with his children so much that when Jesus came, he went from the old covenant, new covenant. The first thing that happened was the veil was ripped and torn in two. Why? So he can start having encounters with his children. God says, I want to rebuild the tabernacle of David so I can start having encounters with my children. That's what he wants. We bait him out as this big old religious God. We have to be so careful and he's over there and we're over here. No, just get consumed with the blue flame of God, which is his presence. It might not look like everybody else's church. It might not look like everybody else's house. Your children might not act like everybody else's children. But guess what? God says, I'm taking you through the process and making sure it stays propped up. Get some more turn you had a tough week this week to hear that, that pole starting to lean a little bit. I mean, prop it up a little bit. God says, I'll help you rebuild it. I'm here to help you rebuild it. If you want a big old structure, you want anybody to like you, nobody to pat you on the back, then it's going to be thrown down, torn down one day. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about, hey, I'm talking about a home that, that houses the presence of God. One encounter after another. No veil. No veil. You know the God in which you serve. You worship Him. You see the blue flame. You know the blue flame. You know what's about this? You know what else about it? The only thing that encircles that tabernacle and that ark is worshipers. 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 Not just on Sundays. It's only every day. How many every day? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Watch this for 36 years. Worship with a canopy held up by some poles. And David didn't know it, but God kept making sure the pose was good. That's what he does for us. You know why he did that? So that everybody can see. We like worship that nobody can see except for the people we hang out with. Not this tabernacle. Worshippers could see the presence of God. Heathens could see the presence of God. Pastor buyers could see the presence of God. God says, I want to build a church that houses my presence. It doesn't matter if you're here just because you're interested. You're still going to see the presence of God. You might hear just to, just to be a passerby and see if this is where you want to go to church or not. God said, that's okay. You get to see the presence of God too. Or you might be a full-blooded Pentecostal, on-fire child of God. Guess what? You get to see the presence of God as well. It doesn't matter who you are. You get to see it. God says, I like that one. God says, I like that one. The old Charlie Brown Christmas tree looking one. One little ornament hanging on the lily. God says, I want that one. Come on, church. All this started because David was consumed with the presence. Bible says when I got close here, even though we can do some more. Revelation 3 and 20. 
here's what I'm here, here here's, here's the word I'm giving in this house the Bible says in Revelation 3 and 20 Jesus said I stand at the door and knock now I thank God for salvation I'm going to deal with some theology here so I don't know how to deal with it later I'm not talking about salvation I'm talking about Christians who should know better and don't what we think is high esteem Christianity is entry level when we just should just be on fire for God's presence because we are the only religion that declared that the presence of our God lives on the inside of us Buddha doesn't, Hindus doesn't, Shintus doesn't, Islam doesn't, but Krishna says, guess what? You don't need a new age crystal sitting on a mantle somewhere. Our God rests on the inside of us. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. I know this is where he is. That's a Christian. And God is seeking that which should be saved all the time. I'm talking about Christians who should be going after the presence of God. And I believe right now that God is circling the planet around the eyes of the Lord is searching to and fro throughout the whole earth and makes himself strong. We have the hearts are in tune towards him. What does that mean? He's knocking. And he's here today. He's the highest praise. You're building me a tabernacle. It's not a house. It's a home. I'm ready for some encounters. I'm ready for some bodies to be healed that you never forget. I'm ready for some deliverances to take place in this house that we never forget. I'm ready to see God move in such a way. I'm ready to see my flame begin to burn. The flames are turning to fire. And when people leave here, crack addicts are getting healed and homosexuals are getting set free. And adulterers ain't committing adultery anymore. And, and you don't have an addiction anymore because you've been in the presence of Almighty God. And God says, this is the kind of house that I will turn into a home. Not because of the structure, but because of the events. Amen. He's changing your house Wednesday night. We got into this a little bit on accident that God wants to change our house where we live. And God's going to bless that house and the other ones into this house. Amen. Because we're all part of same house. God said, I'm close on this. He said, I stand at the door and knock. But what happens when God quits knocking? You said, well, God will never quit knocking. Oh, yes, he will. Because he said in Luke, he said in Luke, he says, when he began to weep, the Bible says he began to weep for Jerusalem. He began to weep for Jerusalem because in Luke 19 and verse 44, he says, I came and you missed because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus came for 33 and a half years. He was there. He spent three and a half years of ministry there. And then he began to weep. He says, you don't even know I'm even here. I've been knocking. I've been knocking. You've been through COVID. You've been through economies. You've been through sickness. You've been through all kinds of stuff. What used to move you don't move you anymore. I'm here to tell you, I'm about to quit knocking. And you can be a church of, of structure. You can be a church of doesn't just this a denial of the supernatural of God. That's what a Sadducee is anyway. And you can be a fair civil spirit and just be intrigued with the law of God, but don't want anything to do with his presence. He says, I'll keep on going. And that's why he was weeping. You missed. But I'm here to tell you highest praise. We're not missing it. We're going to open the door. We're going to say, come on in, God, because we're going to miss the hour of your visitation. Amen? Come on, put your hands together and magnify the Lord this morning. Stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet. Let me help somebody. I was closing this and blind Bartimaeus hit me. Why did blind Bartimaeus hit me? Because this is how we get. You know, sometimes in life, sometimes we go through stuff. Why is a good church like this important? Why is message like this important? Why is powerful worship like this important? Why is everything we do in here, children's ministry, parking lot, everything we do is so important? Because sometimes we go through life and life causes us to be blind to the things of God. Have you ever showed up for church? You're on fire for God. You can't wait to get here. And sometimes you show up, you sit down and say, well, I'm here life does that to us 
And sometimes we have to show up with blind faith. What does blind faith mean? We can't see it. So we got to get around with some people that can. You think I get up here every day because every, every morning I wake up and I just drip and I just come in here on a glory cloud? No. Sometimes I got to shut myself in my door. I got to get on I got to read something. I got to find something. When I don't see him, I got to find somebody that can and say, can you point me to where Jesus is right now? Because this life is kicking my butt right now. And so, the, let me get with Bart here. We got to go. And so the Bible says that Bart, blind Bartimaeus, called him Bart. Okay? He blind. But Jesus is coming. But how, how is he going to know that Jesus is there if he can't see him? He's got to depend on somebody else. Now a whole city just missed him. But I'm just going to show you that one man's going to see something that a whole city missed. Tell me that God can find somebody where the masses don't see him. One person can say, oh, I see him. He can't see, but he sees him. So he's standing there on the side of the road. We got this now because we rehearsed it a while ago. We got this, okay? So I'm Bart. I'm blind. Is Jesus coming? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is. is he close? He's turning on Redbuck. Well, let's go a little bit farther down first and then work our way to Redbuck. Okay. Let's go to the overpass. Go overpass. Okay. Oh, he's at the overpass. Okay, well, I'm good. Okay, okay. Where is he at now? Uh, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. I like Chick-fil-A. Okay. Lord's Chicken. Okay, I got you. We're good. He's turning on Redbuck. What? I, I promise. Okay, appreciate that. Wow, I can't see him, so I don't know. All right, where is he at now? Uh, he's in the parking lot. He's in the parking lot. Okay. Well, I don't know. I need a, I need a touch, but I have no idea where he's at right now. But He's walking in the door right now. Jesus, son of David. touch. You know where I got that from? I didn't get it from me. I got it from this man right here because he can see it. It is what behoove you to surround you with people that can see what you're not seeing. That's why you can get what you're not getting because everybody is going to switch places because the next time it might be him that is blind and me said, hey man, he's coming down the bypass. Hey man, he's by the chief of lane. Hey man, he's turning that red bug. Hey man, he's coming the door. We never for sure we are not going to miss him because we're hungry for his presence if you believe it put your hands together come on sing something structures, Lord, but may we have events, Lord, that changes our hearts and changes our lives. Come on, 
on, if you need to get closer to God, just throw your hand up right now. I just want you to signify. We're at an altar right now. I'll make it where you're at an altar. What's an altar? It's a sacrifice. How do we know it's an altar? I'm bringing a sacrifice. The sacrifice is everything you want to hang on to. What do you mean sacrifice everything you want to? If it, it's just like this fast with his head. If it don't mean anything to you, it's not a sacrifice. If you can easily get it, give up on it, it's not a sacrifice. But God, I give you this. It's a sacrifice. If you're not a Christian today, you say, I don't even have a relationship with the Lord. Raise your hand right now because he's just getting ready. You just lay your life down as a sacrifice. Your marriage, your children, your finances, your, your spirit, soul, and body, everything. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. A living sacrifice. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. My entire being. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm after you, Lord. I'm after your presence. I'm after your flame. I want it to turn into a fire inside my life, Lord. Change me. Move me. Use me to be a carrier of your presence from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, put your hands together. Let's... Facebook at Highest Praise Church. We can't wait to see you soon.